It's episode 68 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Keto for Women. Thanks, as always, for joining me. Happy to have you here for yet another edition of the Keto Hot Seat episode. Can't wait to get to all of your questions that I got actually just yesterday. So we are on a brand new batch of Keto Hot Seat questions, questions I get from you guys. I'll explain more about how that works in just a minute. Quickly, let's get to some updates. Actually, I don't really have any updates. So I think y'all probably are excited about that. So we can get to questions even quicker. But one thing I do just want to mention that it just kind of came up over the weekend. I posted a picture on Instagram of a burger without a bun. Also, that burger had a side of duck fat fries. So obviously, may not be considered a keto food for some. For me, it's not something that I wouldn't eat because of it being keto or not. For me, it's definitely a choice that I make. If it sounds good, then I'm going to eat the fries on a particular day. If it doesn't sound good or it's not as appealing as it is in some cases, then I'm not going to eat the fries. And that's really kind of my way of being intuitive with my version of a keto diet and basically just making that choice in the moment based on what sounds really good to me, what I know will make me feel really good, both mentally, physically, emotionally, all of these things combined. And because of my health status right now, having some fries does not put my blood sugar way super high up. It doesn't make me feel bad. My digestion's fine when that happens. And I don't typically actually order fries, to be honest, mainly because of the oils that are used in restaurants typically to fry the fries. But when it's duck fat, which is a really great source of fat, and they're using that to fry their fries, then I really want them. Like that's really something that's special. You don't see it very often. They taste really good and it's good high quality. So that's really why I made the decision. But anyway, I digress. What really prompted me to want to talk about this here was when I posted in the comments about how while most people don't think that fries are quote unquote keto, I also don't think that, but I also don't think things like bacon and butter are quote unquote keto. And that confused a lot of people. And I got a lot of questions about that. But really what I'm saying, and this is something that I do, and it's something that I think that you could potentially try to do as well to get out of this diet mentality that a lot of us are stuck in, no matter how hard we try. And I know a lot of you are really trying and that's great. But when we have labels on food, then that will kind of keep us in this place of can't, can't, should, shouldn't, do, don't, that kind of thing where it's our foods are classified almost as yes, this is okay or no, this is not. So when we call a food keto, then that's going to kind of bring in that type of mentality where like bacon and butter is keto, but fries aren't keto. So then it's like if I do choose fries, then I'm going against what I'm doing for my 
quote unquote diet or health or whatever, where that's not really the case for, I mean, for some, yeah, fries aren't a good option for you because of your health status, what you're working on, your blood sugar regulation, just all kinds of things that may not be the best choice. But for a lot of you, maybe fries are a fine choice and having fries every once in a while when you're out and about isn't a bad thing for you. So taking away those labels and saying like bacon's bacon, butter's butter, fries are fries. And every day I'm just going to make the best choices for my health, which is a huge, huge priority for me. And it should be for you too. And I'm going to make the best choices for my happiness, which nine times out of 10, at least for me, those choices lead to the same result because I like eating bacon and eggs. So that's really good for my health and the ketogenic lifestyle that I'm living, but it also makes me really happy every morning. But sometimes... I'm choosing what's best for my health and what's best for my happiness. That happiness is something that is really, really important to me in that moment. So for instance, I found some duck fat fries. I was out with my friends. We were having a good girls night and I ate some fries. That really led to this really great feeling of happiness, of inclusion, of just being able to do whatever I want, to feel really good about my decisions. So I was really happy. And, you know, the health thing, like it was duck fat. Potatoes still are within kind of my hard rules, which are basically no gluten, no soy. So still kind of met those rules. Yeah, it wasn't maybe the best choice ever for my health, but it also wasn't a really, really poor choice for my health. So I still was able to get the best of both worlds in a way. And my happiness was off the charts. So that's where we go from these kind of ideas of having good and bad foods or any sort of label of foods, keto, not keto foods, to just eating intuitively. And when you're keto and you eat intuitively, it is super easy. It can be super easy because those meals that you love to eat, those foods you love to eat are a lot of times very keto friendly foods or on a ketogenic lifestyle that would make you both healthy and happy. So I hope that makes some sort of sense. I did just want to clear that up because it was confusing for a lot of people by me saying that bacon and butter aren't keto. I just don't think any foods are keto. I think food is food. I think keto is a type of diet or a type of lifestyle or a metabolic condition in your body. That's what it is. It's not a food. It's not a label of a food and it shouldn't be. And so if that's something that you're still doing and kind of catching yourself doing, see if you can change that a little bit in your head and you might find yourself a little bit more apt to come from a place of intuitive eating with what you choose to make part of your ketogenic diet and not so much from a diet aspect or what somebody else is telling you is keto or not keto. That's my spiel for the day, although I'm sure there will be many others as we get through these questions. So let's do it, shall we? These are a new round of keto hot seat questions. If you're new to the hot seat episodes, first of all, I would tell you to go back and listen to the keto hot seat episodes. There are quite a few of them now. I do them several times a month, and they are basically all the questions that I get from listeners on my Instagram, Facebook, and even some emailed to me. So these are all from Instagram. I asked for them last night, so they are fresh questions. Really excited. I will say it became the keto hot seat because it was basically just I was pulling up my Instagram 
and just reading them, no prep, no idea what the questions even were. I hadn't looked at them at all. And that's really fun. So it kind of put me on the hot seat. And quite honestly, I think you guys prefer my very candid answers and I prefer my very candid answers. I'm totally accepting of not knowing the answer, not being able to give you every little detail of the answer, but maybe telling you where you could go to find it and just really giving a lot of times my opinion too. Sometimes it's educated. Sometimes it's just straight up my opinion. Either way, I think that it's a really good way to answer these questions that you all have about keto and women's health and just really anything. It can honestly be about anything. We are very inclusive here at the Keto for Women show because we're talking about keto, but I know a lot of you are very interested in just health overall and really getting to the healthiest, happiest place that you can get to. So anything that gets us there is going to be good for the Keto for Women show, in my opinion. And we do have some that aren't about keto today, which I really liked. But that leads me to tell you that I did have to read these prior and I'm going to have to start doing so, mainly because I was noticing I was getting a lot of repeat questions that I have already answered in past hot seat episodes. And it just takes too much time to read those questions again and answer them again when I could be getting to new questions that people have. So if that's the case and you submitted a question and I do not answer it, then that's why. It's because it was already answered in previous podcast episodes. Please go back, listen to the Keto Hot Seat episodes. You will get it answered. If it's on some other episode, then I will read the question and let you know which place to go for that. So I did look over them. I did not prepare because things just go out the window when I prepare is what I'm finding. When I have notes, I just get all weird. Whereas if I just talk, then things flow nicely. And I think you guys probably noticed that too. So we will start with these questions from Instagram. There are quite a few. I think it's probably been 20 hours maybe, and I have almost 100 already, and that's just on Instagram. I haven't even looked over on Facebook yet. So we're going to have a lot to get to. I'm going to get to as many as I can today, and then we will pick back up in a few weeks with answers to more. All right, so let's get going. First one, I understand we want our cholesterol to be fluffy, but how do I know if my cholesterol is fluffy? I know I should take my triglycerides and divide by my HDL, and I believe this number should be low. But what is considered low? For example, my triglycerides are 55 and my HDL is 61. So she did the math and it comes to about 0.9. Is this low? Is it fluffy? I've listened to episode 34 multiple times and have not found the answer. Sorry if I missed it. Thank you so much for your podcast. I have taken your advice on how to live this lifestyle and I feel amazing. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad it's working for you. Okay, so what she's talking about is the desire to have basically these light, fluffy cholesterol molecules versus hard, dense cholesterol molecules. It's a way to determine your risk of heart disease by the type, essentially, of cholesterol you have. So you can get it tested. And if you are really, really concerned, if you have history of heart disease in your family, if your numbers have been kind of out of whack for a while, if your doctor's nervous about you having heart disease, then you can get it tested. It's called an NMR test, NMR. You may have to get it done at more of a functional type place. That, for sure. I don't know if traditional doctors would run that for you or not, but it's something you can ask if you're truly, truly interested. But what we're kind of referencing here is the information that was shared on episode 34 from Dr. Trudy Deacon. And that is basically this other way, this kind of 
better, I guess I would say, method to determine your heart disease risk and to kind of get an idea of if you are light and fluffy or hard and dense. And the way to do that is by doing this math of your triglycerides versus HDL, which is what was done here in this question, and she got 0.9. So the idea... I actually don't know if it was shared in that episode. We may have kind of brushed past that, which I apologize if that's the case. But what you want to do is try to keep that ratio as close to one as you can. So you're at 0.9. That's great. Looks good. Perfect. What we don't want is it to get kind of above, say, like two. So if it's two, then this is just an example. We'll use these numbers in this question. Say, for instance, the HDL was 61, but your triglycerides were at 120, then that would be a little concerning. That would be something where we'd want to take action, see what we can do to reduce those triglycerides and increase the HDL to try to get the ratio closer to one, if that makes sense. Uh, So we kind of want that to happen naturally. Obviously, keto is great for that. That's kind of some of the biggest benefits of keto is how quickly it can increase your HDL, which is a great sign, and how quickly it can decrease your triglycerides, which is also a great sign. And then we kind of bridge that gap to get it closer to a one-to-one ratio instead of way far away from each other, which if that's the case, like if it is around that two mark or above, then that is something where you could potentially be at a higher risk for heart disease, you'd want to potentially get that test done, that NMR test that I talked about, and do some more research about what is actually going on in your body in particular. But this person, nothing to worry about. It looks great. I would just continue doing what you're doing. You'll get even lower. Well, your triglycerides are are plenty low, so we don't really need those to go any lower, but you could potentially get your HDL a little bit higher as you continue keto. It's already totally great, nothing to worry about, but that'd be cool too, but you're doing everything just fine. So remember, I'll say it once again, and also go back and listen to episode 34 if you haven't, and you're at all interested in cholesterol. It's just fascinating information, but you want triglycerides divided by HDL to be around one or even like 1.5 is fine, but just as it increases to closer like a two a two ratio, then that's something that you would want to work on getting back down and keto will do that for you. That's just kind of to sum everything up that I just said in case it was as confusing as it sounded in my head. All right, moving on. How to get the last 10 pounds off when fat adapted over a year, yet trying super low carbs didn't help, carnivore didn't work, increasing carbs isn't working. Well, my friend, I think, first of all, go back and listen to more of the Keto for Women show if you haven't already. doesn't sound like you've totally listened to all the episodes because we'd probably be able to answer your question, but I can tell you because, of course, you're not the only person with this question. That is a very common question in the keto community, and- I have an answer that you may not want to hear, that maybe nobody's telling you, that I might not be that popular for saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. And that is, first of all, you might not need to lose that last 10 pounds. That last 10 pounds might be there for a reason. It might not be leaving easily for a reason. And that's something that you need to start kind of looking at and maybe accepting because 
the last 10 pounds, I don't know how, where you started. I don't know how much has come off. I don't know anything about you except that you want to lose 10 more pounds and you're trying really, really hard and you're putting your body through a lot of stress to get you there and it's not happening. And so you just got to take that information and run with it, which is probably that maybe it's too soon for your body to lose the last 10 pounds. Maybe you've done a significant amount of weight loss successfully and your body's feeling good there for now. And maybe you just need to chill with it for a little bit and be happy there and enjoy where you're at. Enjoy what keto has done for you. Don't worry about trying to manipulate anything for a period of time and just run with it and be really, really grateful for everything that you have accomplished or that keto has done for you. The only other thing I will say is it could potentially be that something is still kind of out of balance. I mean, we know here on the Keto for Women show that when you have excess weight beyond where your body is comfortable and happy, then that is a symptom of something deeper going on that's keeping your health out of balance. So if you still have some imbalances going on with your health, which could be any number of reasons, and I would urge you to go back to, I don't remember the numbers, maybe 17 and 18 or something way back in the beginning of the Keto for Women show, I did two episodes about why you're not losing weight on keto. And it will go through all the reasons why you might not be losing weight, why that imbalance may still be happening with your health. And so maybe now it's time to start looking at that kind of stuff. Like find this place where you're happy with how keto feels, with how you feel, with the food you're eating, that you have enough energy and you're sleeping really well and you're enjoying all your food and then start talking to somebody else about looking further into your health. So maybe go to a functional practitioner of some sort and start getting some testing done and see what you can find out that may really show you very clearly why the last 10 pounds aren't coming off. So there's two options. Either one, your body doesn't want to get rid of it now or ever, potentially. I don't know. I don't know if it's just for now. Very good chance that maybe in three months, six months, a year, maybe that last 10 pounds will come off. Or maybe it won't at all. But then also it could be because you have something more going on. You still have more to explore before your body's ready to let go of that. Hope that makes sense. Keto seven months and I fast for 36 hours once a week. All was great. I felt healthy and satiated all the time. Started a spore-based probiotic and suddenly my hunger is out of hand. I'm always focused on food. I'm like a deep well and I feel like I have to eat triple to be full. I don't know if this is a probiotic working or really not working. Been taking it about two and a half weeks. Not sure if I should keep taking the 30-day supply or stop. Any advice? Thanks for your awesome podcast. This is interesting. I mean, I would say, yes, the probiotic has something to do with it, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. What I think might be happening, because probiotics, especially spore-based probiotics, they do more for our body and our health and our gut than just give us a balanced microbiome. I mean, that microbiome is responsible for pretty much everything that our body does and feels and goes through. It's quite amazing. And, you know, new information comes out like daily about the importance of having a nice, healthy, balanced microbiome. So 
when we do that, it really starts changing other things in our body and regulating other things in our body. And what I think might be happening, again, this is kind of like an an educated opinion or educated guess, I almost would say, although I feel pretty good about this answer. I just don't have like the actual proof written down in some sort of scientific journal or anything. But what I would assume here is happening is that your body is in need of specific nutrients, in need of a specific amount of food and nourishment. And it's kind of like now that you've added in this probiotic and you're really working to get everything balanced, your gut is getting regulated again, that microbiome is being built up to a good place. And so things are now starting to become obvious. It's almost like it brings about and makes it more obvious certain things that need to change. So it sounds to me like it's probably showing you that you're slightly undernourished. If you're doing a 36-hour fast once a week, maybe that's too much. I mean, I know you say that you felt great. Well, your body is doing a lot in that 36 hours to make you feel great because it's kind of kicking in the stress response. It's providing cortisol to keep you active and alive and and moving and all your parts moving and and your whole system working. So yeah, you're going to be kind of in on this like cortisol high, I kind of think of it during that 36 hour fast. So I would just say, continue to do the 30 days, make sure you are providing your body with a sufficient amount of nutrients, maybe cut that fast back a little bit, like maybe not 36 hours every single week, maybe do every other week, maybe do like two 16-hour fasts instead where it's not quite as much time going without food and really, really make sure, I mean, no matter what, even if this probiotic wasn't coming into the mix, if you're not eating for 36 hours a week, then you really need to eat during those hours that you are eating. So make sure you're really, really providing enough food. I don't think that hunger is really any sign except I need more nutrients, right? That's your body telling you it needs more nutrients. And maybe this probiotic is kind of bringing that about. I mean, even probiotics can even start regulating those leptin and ghrelin hormones that we have that are our hunger satiety cues. And so maybe that's happening. And now you do have more of, which is great. I mean, you want to know when your body actually needs nutrients and when it's actually satisfied. And so maybe now that signaling is coming alive and it's telling you, I need more food. So see what you can do to really make sure, maybe take a few weeks off the fasting entirely and get your body to a normal amount of nourishment for a few weeks and see if that helps at all. That should regulate your satiety and hunger hormones even more. And then you might be able to go back to fasting a little bit. So I definitely think the probiotics have something to do with it, but I think it's almost signaling you that maybe that fast is putting you into too much of an undernourishment state. That would be kind of the connection that I seem to be making with this question. Fun question. I like fun questions. What is your top very favorite keto meal? Ooh, this is so hard. So, so hard. I would say probably burger with mayo, bacon, and avocado. That sounds really good. I'd say that might be my favorite keto meal, but then there's so many others. I mean, really, as long as something, even like a salad that has a ton of my ranch dressing on it is like a favorite keto meal. 
<laughs> I have so many. It's really, really hard. But I always go to the burger. It's kind of a go-to for me. So I think also because there's so many great toppings to put on burgers that make them keto-friendly, even a fried egg or something like that. So yeah, anything with sauce really too. I mean, there's so many. I can't even decide. No, that's a trick question. It's a fun question and it's a trick question because I, I don't have more than an... I don't have one answer, that's for sure. All right. Next one, body odor, all body odor. Yes. So a few things here. First of all, if you're new to keto and maybe kind of going through the keto flu type scenario and you notice a change in your body odor, that is basically a sign that you're producing ketones and you're actually excreting acetone, which is a form of ketone body through your sweat. So you may be experiencing that. And that's really more so that you notice that your sweat smells differently. So if you notice a different, like a change in your sweat, that is what it is. And that goes away as you become keto adapted. Shouldn't be more than a few weeks at most before that goes away. So just use extra deodorant or something and you'll be fine. Now, if you're noticing stronger body odor, like for instance, just like your deodorant no longer works or like you're noticing your feet start smelling, something like that, that's actually signs of a mineral imbalance. And you know, we are very knowledgeable in the fact that our minerals can tend to become imbalanced with keto because of the amount of water that we lose when we make the keto transition and that we continue to not hold on to because of our low carbon take and producing ketones. So that's really a sign that you just need to work harder to balance those electrolytes, get on some great electrolyte support, which I have in my supplement guide for the show. I have that listed, which you can get by going to episode 18 show notes. Yeah, I think it's episode 18. I think I said episode 18 earlier for something else. So that means that something else is not right. But anyway, all of those early teen episodes are really good episodes. So go back and just re-listen to all of them. How about that? You get everything you ever needed. No, but with the supplement guide that will show the electrolytes I recommend, make sure that you are taking that on a very, very regular basis. You may also need to increase further the amount of magnesium. Quite often, body odor is associated with a magnesium deficiency. So if you really, really increase your magnesium, find that sweet spot, which is different for everybody, where basically you're able to take a decent amount of magnesium without having to run to the bathroom. So if you take too much magnesium, that is how you will know because you will have to run to the bathroom, run, not walk. So we don't want to get to that point, but we do want to make sure you're getting a sufficient amount. And so you kind of need to find that sweet spot for yourself. Other than that, just make sure that you are always supporting your liver. Again, we detoxify through our sweat as well. So if you are a toxic person, not saying anything about you as your personality or anything like that, but if you are carrying around a lot of toxins as a person, then you could potentially have a different smelling sweat or a stronger smelling sweat. So that's something that uh, really taking a look at detoxifying your liver, which I prefer to do with real food and just using lots of leafy greens and bitter greens and root vegetables and citrus, those kind of things. Add all those things in massive quantities to your day and that will help too with body odor if it's coming from a place of needing to cleanse the liver. 
Drink lots of water, of course. Make sure you are super, super hydrated. That will help too. So that gives you some ideas, some places to start. I have a feeling that if all four of those are covered, you are going to notice a difference. And of course, use some primarily pure deodorant. That will solve your problem temporarily too. Moving on. I'm curious about your thoughts about bulletproof coffee. Here's why. Sometimes I don't want to eat breakfast after. I use a decent amount of fat, one tablespoon butter, half a teaspoon of MCT, one tablespoon coconut oil, and two scoops of collagen. I work out in the morning for about an hour, then have my coffee. Some days I feel hungry, and some days I just wait until lunch. I worry about losing nutrients at breakfast. Also, I wake up at 5, and we eat lunch at 11.30 most days. What are your thoughts? Well, I think... I've talked about my overall thoughts about Bulletproof Coffee here before, but I do like this question because there's a lot of women relying on their Bulletproof Coffee instead of eating breakfast. And I've seen it a lot of times that that causes more issues later on in the day or just overall as they're trying to gain nutrients, trying to get things back into balance. All of a sudden they start seeing the opposite and it's for the simple reason of not eating breakfast. So There's just something about actually having a plate of food and chewing and starting the digestive process and all that stuff in the morning that really, really helps us as women. It helps our leptin and ghrelin hormones. We're talking about those again. It keeps those in check so they stay nice and balanced and can help you determine if you're hungry or full. It really keeps our metabolism humming along nicely, which is great. Keeps our hormones in balance. It's really great for the thyroid. It's really great for your cortisol levels, which are highest in the morning. So there's a lot of really good reasons to eat breakfast. And I really think that more of you should be eating breakfast rather than relying on bulletproof coffee. Now, the only thing I will say about this question, though, is that it seems like you're being pretty intuitive. It seems like some days you're going ahead and eating and some days you're not. And I think that that's fine. I think as long as you are in tune with your body and you can tell that like, all right, cool, I don't I'm good with this. I don't need any more today until lunch then I think that's fine. But if you're forcing it or if that's just become your habit every single morning and you're no longer like connecting with your body to see if maybe you should be having more food or a different breakfast or more nutrients, then, you know, it's different. I think we can really quickly get in that habit of bulletproof coffee instead of intuitively having a bulletproof coffee, which I think is really, really different. So the only thing I know you're worried about losing nutrients, the only thing I will say is just make sure that those other meals you're having in the day are really great, that they have, you know, plenty of veggies, nice, good, high quality meats, lots of good, high quality fats and you're fine. So nothing to worry about. And especially if it's not every day, then no big deal. You know, if it's a couple times a week or whatever, then that's cool. And it seems like you're being really intuitive and you're just not hungry, which is fine. It happens. Happens to the best of us sometimes. So I think you're doing great. Before we move on with this episode, let me just take a minute to remind you all about the healing power of bone broth. And more specifically, Oh So Good Bone Broth, who is a proud Keto for Women sponsor. 
Bone broth is the best, most nutrient-dense way that you can go to heal your body and heal your gut and improve your skin and nails and hair. The amino acid profile in bone broth is absolutely incredible, something we all need and a lot of us miss on a regular basis. Not to mention those micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals also provided naturally in bone broth that work to heal your gut and also to heal your immune system and to keep you healthy and well. That's why we are recommended to drink broth when we're sick or when we feel ourselves getting sick. And to have that in a package that is so delicious and so easy, all you have to do is grab a pack of oh so good bone broth out of your freezer, let it thaw, put it into a pot, and you can use it either in recipes for whatever you're making that day, or my personal favorite is to just drink it straight out of a mug. It's very comforting and warm. I love to do it before bed. It's kind of my nighttime ritual. It calms me down, makes sure that I'm nice and healthy heading into bedtime, and I have those nutrients ready to go. Oh So Good Bone Broth is 100% the best tasting broth out there. It is the best one I have ever had. I've tried them all. I am a huge fan of the flavors of the bone broth that they have there at Oh So Good. My favorite is the Signature. I highly recommend that. A close second is the Spicy Pork. So make sure when you are placing your order with Oh So Good, you grab those two and just give them a try. Let me know if you think they're your favorite too. And make sure you always have some around. I know you can make your own, but there's just times when all of a sudden you or your family member feels like they're coming down with something and you need some broth immediately, but you don't have any bones. You don't have the time to make some broth. And it's just really nice to have that in the freezer ready to go for whenever you or your family needs it, which really, honestly, it's an everyday thing. You need to be making this a ritual so that it gets into your health care routine because it is a much needed part of that. So head to ohsogoodbones.com and get $10 off your order when you use the code keto, the number for women. That's O-S-S-O goodbones.com and use the coupon code keto, the number for women to place your order, get $10 off. Make sure to try all those flavors. Try the soups too. They are phenomenal and so easy to pull out and have around for a quick dinner. Uh, Just so great. Everything's so good there. I promise you're going to be obsessed. Tips or new interviews specific to perimenopausal women or women with other dysregulation whose current diet is no longer working and who are gaining weight rapidly. Okay. So first of all, perimenopausal women are really just, so we'll kind of group these together because they really kind of are, at least for the answer that I'm going to give, which is perimenopausal, even menopausal, postmenopausal, or any sort of other hormonal dysregulation. What you need to do is first of all, realize that diet doesn't have hardly anything to do with it when it comes to hormones. Like, yes, you can use diet to help regulate your hormones, which is what I promote with the keto diet and what it can do for female hormones. Like it's really, really great just in balancing your blood sugar and getting your body into a safe place and just everything that we promote here on Keto for Women to do with our keto diet. But if it's not working, don't just keep looking at the diet. 
There's so many other factors to the reason why you are gaining weight that is hormonal, which I'd say, gosh, probably 85% of women, the reason they're gaining weight, it's hormonal. So if that's the case, chill on freaking out about your diet and let's go look into some other things. Like again, go back to that episode, reasons why you're not losing weight on a keto diet. There's so many other factors that you need to look at. First of all, make sure you actually get your hormones tested to find out what is actually going on because we can assume all we want that it's your hormonal imbalance that's causing your waking. But we kind of really need to know. I think it helps everyone, your practitioner or, or that person that you're asking for advice on how to help you lose weight and yourself to really look and see what's going on in your body and to understand what your body's trying to do. So test your hormones. If you think you have a hormonal imbalance, test them. Find out for sure. Go to a functional doctor, go to a holistic nutritionist, someone like me, go somewhere and get your hormones tested via saliva or urine test. So that's the first thing. Then from there, speak with someone that can help you take those results and put you on a protocol to balance them. And trust me, it's going to have very little to do with diet. Like, You'll probably need to obviously stay on a blood sugar control type diet. You'll need to make sure you're eating enough food and enough high quality nutrients, these things that we talk about. But other than that, there's going to be a lot of other things you need to do besides diet to get your body to be balanced. And I talk about that all the time here. Like, I know it's the Keto for Women show, but I think you all agree that we talk about a lot more than diet here on this podcast. So because it's like, If we have to, we really have to, if we really truly want to become the healthy women that we want to be. So that's my advice here is like, you got to start digging. You can't just be upset with your body and upset with your diet and wondering why nothing's working and all frustrated and whatever. And I, trust me, I've been there. I know that that's how it feels. It's just pure frustration, but there is so many more things that you need to take charge of in your life to truly understand what's going on in your body and why you are gaining weight. And like, I'm just going to say it for like the fifth time, diet has very little to do with it. I know bioidentical hormone cream is still putting a bandaid on out of balance hormones. However, when you are 65, been through menopause and have the typical hot flashes and vaginal thinning and dryness, that seems to go with age, what are the other options? I've been keto for two years, not overweight, no other health issues. Is natural hormone balance possible after menopause? Yes, it is. Totally possible after menopause. First of all, again, you need to get your hormones tested to see where they're at, to see what you're working with, to see what needs to be boosted up, I guess. And so it sounds like you are on bioidentical. Maybe you're not, not sure. But That is the typical approach to women going through menopause or postmenopausal in order to help them basically relieve symptoms, um, relieve the vaginal dryness and thinning, relieve the hot flashes, and just kind of overall quality of life, which is totally understandable, and that's great. And if that's something that you want to do and you trust who you're working with, then go for it. But what I will say is that it is possible, and really what you would be doing is working on a natural regimen. So using 
supplemental support and really good, powerful herbs that have been shown to help with these kinds of imbalances or issues that postmenopausal women have. There's really, really great stuff out there now. But the only thing is you can't just go and start taking all these supplements, like you need to know what you need to do specifically for you and your body. And that goes for everybody. No matter what age you are, no matter what imbalance you have, you have to find out what your body needs instead of just throwing all the supplements at it. Because A, supplements are expensive. They're annoying to take. And a lot of times you don't see what you're expecting to see, or at least not as quickly as you'd like. And then you stop taking them before you even get results. And you know, it's a whole thing. And I think we can all kind of relate to that. But when you can get tested and see what your body's doing on its own, then you can really, really have a great postmenopausal experience just using supplements specific to what you need. So that's what I would recommend. Find a practitioner that is willing to do that type of testing and works with women that are postmenopausal, and you will have a great experience. I am very confident in that. Just find a good, a good person. And really, like I think I say this a lot, and this is not a question, but I do get this question a lot. And I just want you to know that when you ask, when I say find a practitioner in your area, or maybe not even in your area, maybe you're willing to do Skype or whatever, which is what I used to do and works really, really well. I highly recommend it. If you find someone that's willing to do that for you that doesn't live in your area, but you like them, I think it's great to do virtual. But anyway, when I say that, all I'm really telling you to do is to Google. I think that's honestly the best way. Like, I don't know of a super great resource for all of these people that are in one spot to help you find a good practitioner. I don't know that that exists or I don't know where to find it, but Google has them because they will all have websites. And so if you want to see someone in person, just put in, like in this case, put in holistic or functional or something postmenopausal practitioner or doctor, or something, you know, try a different thing. You can try putting in your area, like your city or your zip code or something like that. If you want to see someone in person, if you want to do virtual, you can put in like virtual or online or something like that. But I mean, really, Google is going to be your friend, which is, I hate to say that, but that's really the best way. That's what I recommend for all of you that are wondering how to find a practitioner. Google is great. I Google like multiple things per day, every single day. All right, here we go. Moving on. I've done keto since January, 2018. Very healthy. However, did it as one of Pat Flynn's one week challenges. Loved how it took away my sugar cravings and have been hooked since listening to all the podcasts, checking ketones and I'm in ketosis. Here's my recent dilemma. I feel great, except I have recently had a huge eczema outbreak on my hand. It was a problem younger, but not much since adulthood, except I know highly acidic foods make me itch. Keto is supposed to be anti-inflammatory, yet my eczema is rearing its ugly head. Why? However, now reading all the great keto foods, eggs, avocados, dairies, nightshades are irritants. I've always had eggs, dairy, and never a problem. Help. Okay, so first of all, a couple things. Eczema is very, very much related to the health of your gut. So no matter what, and I say this quite often, and I see this quite often in the Fat Burning Female Project, keto is so great for health, but a lot of times it's great kind of in that it shows us what's still going on. So it often brings up 
other health issues that need to be addressed. So like everything feels great, but XYZ happened when I started keto. And it's really like, it's almost like keto has this magical power of showing us what we still need to work on. So for you, it sounds like you still need to work on your gut health. Sounds like keto is going great and it's going so well that you feel so good and everything's wonderful, except it's showing you that hey, we still have one more thing that's out of hand here that needs to be focused on. So again, I hate to be a broken record, but I'm gonna tell you, ideally, you would find somebody that can test your gut health. So you really wanna get your gut health tested. This is usually done via a stool test, usually something that you would have to go to a functional practitioner to do and see what the status is, see how things are going. More than likely, you're going to find multiple things that you need to work on. I hate to be the bearer of bad news again, but that's most likely the case is you still have some stuff going on in your gut. It's keeping you from having a nice, strong, sealed gut lining. So you may have what's called a leaky gut, quote unquote, also known as intestinal permeability is the more official term. Either way, that sounds like that's kind of keeping you in this inflammatory state, keeping your immune system worked up, and it's showing up as eczema, which is really what's going on. It's like an irritation, an inflammatory, and immune response of the skin. So that's the first thing. I would definitely recommend some gut testing, finding out what's going on, healing your gut, and that eczema should be gone, hopefully for good, should definitely be able to put it into remission, at least for a long term, which would be really great. Now, eczema is also associated with stress, so make sure that you are really keeping your stress levels in check, really making sure you're taking time for self-care, all that stuff that we talk about so much here about stress and how crazy it is and how much we need to manage it. And then lastly, the one thing I will say is that you are reading that there are some foods that we definitely eat more of in the keto community that could be causing this irritation. And first of all, if you do have a sensitivity to dairy or eggs or avocado or something like that, then it is still a gut health issue and should still need to be kind of attacked in that way. But in the meantime, should also be taken out. So what I would recommend you do, I would first, you know, you're still eating dairy, then I, that would be kind of my first go-to would be to take out the dairy maybe for like at least a month, maybe like six weeks and see how you do. See if that eczema clears up. That would be a really good starting point while you're waiting potentially to go to the doctor or get a test done. Just do that simple thing, which I know it's not simple for so many of you to be dairy-free, but trust me, it is really, really easy once you get used to it. No big deal at all. I still get plenty of fats, I promise, even though I don't eat dairy. But do that, and that would be a really good kind of experiment to do to see if that is something that would help it at all. That would give you a lot of information, and then you'd still need to do the gut test and heal the gut so that you could potentially bring dairy back in to your diet at some point. Totally possible. If that doesn't change, you could maybe try the same thing with eggs or avocado or nightshade, something like that. But I would definitely start with dairy first because having a dairy sensitivity, I guess, is very much associated with skin irritation as well. So since it's eczema, that's my first choice there. What's your go-to restaurant meal when on vacation, having fun while staying on track? Thank you. Ah, uh, love that question. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because... I really find it very easy to enjoy myself and stay in a ketogenic spot for vacation. 
when I'm on vacation or when I'm doing something fun or out with my friends or anything like that. It's the easiest I've ever had to eat and stay to eat what I want to eat and feel how I want to feel. So when I'm on vacation, my go-tos, you know, I try my hardest mainly because I'm more concerned with the quality of the food than I am with finding a keto-friendly food. So I really take the time to try to find a good restaurant that cares about the sourcing of their meats and the sourcing of their vegetables. And the biggest thing that I do to find that is I'll Google, like, again, with the Google, farm to table in XYZ area or grass-fed burger in XYZ area or even organic restaurant or something like that. And that kind of leads me to be able to find these really great restaurants that have awesome quality ingredients. From there, the cool thing about that, and this is not to downplay any restaurant that doesn't source their food in that way, but those kinds of restaurants are typically used to people coming in and having some sort of food preference. And so they're used to getting these special orders. They're used to not putting a bun on the burger or not putting bread on the table or something like that. So you asking those things isn't going to come as a surprise at all. So that's the first thing I'll do if I'm going to go out. That's kind of how I search about where we're going to go. And then from there, like I mentioned earlier, it's my favorite meal. It's also the meal I had this weekend with the fries, but also the easiest meal to get pretty much anywhere you go is a burger. Just get a burger without a bun. Tell them to put it on a salad or a bed of lettuce. It's like just so easy. And then you can, if fries aren't something that you want to take part in, which like I said, most times I don't, then I just get either veggies or a salad on the side. And typically I bring my own dressing if that's the case. Like I kind of always have some sort of dressing that I could use if I'm going to be traveling, like a fat I could use as dressing, I guess, olive oil or avocado mayo or something like that. But You could also just have some butter on your veggies or something that's equally as delicious if you are getting steamed vegetables. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I don't rely on getting all my meals out when I travel. That's something I think that's really important. That's hard for a lot of people to comprehend that when they do and when they take the action on it makes a huge difference. And again, for me, this is more so about having a hard time finding the quality of food that I eat versus finding something that's keto or something. Like, I don't think that's a problem. I think you could even go into like a pasta restaurant and just order something without the noodles and it would be keto friendly. Like it's really quite easy for that to happen. But like I said, for me, it's harder to find the quality of the food that I want to eat when I'm in other places. Like I'm very spoiled here in Boulder, but I know that's not the case for everybody and everywhere. So I bring my food. I bring a lot of food when I travel and that's my own preference. It's something I find easier than trying to find multiple restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. It's food I like to eat. It's food I know I feel good eating because I think we can all agree that when you start eating foods you're not used to when you're out vacationing versus home and you start not feeling so good, it kind of puts a little bit of a damper on your holiday. And I would rather feel as good as I possibly can. And so that means eating the foods that I know make me feel really good. And those are foods that I'm used to eating at home. So I just bring those. Like I will bring lots of good high quality canned fish 
or Epic bars, something like that to get my proteins in all the fats. Like I said, the avocado oil, the avocado oil, mayo, the olive oil, the ghee, coconut oil. I bring all of it because you just never know. And then I'll bring nut butter packets and things like that. I've even multiple times taken Tupperwares of roasted vegetables. Depends on if I'm staying somewhere that has a fridge or not. And I will eat that throughout the time that I'm away. I mean, I think that's something that is just so powerful and so much easier than it seems to do. I mean, I guess you probably have to have a bigger suitcase, especially if you're going to take Tupperwares of things. But really, other than that, as long as you're a little bit planned out and you take the time to do a little like travel meal prep before you leave, it really, really does pay off. So I like to do that too. So that short question just became a huge answer. But I think it's important to talk about. Next one, you talk a lot about food sensitivities. Can you talk about different tests and which ones are good to do, which ones are not good to do? As you know, they can be quite expensive. Thank you for everything. Love your podcast. Yes. So it's hard. I mean, honestly, I will tell you straight up that no food sensitivity test is going to be 100% accurate right? There's always room for error. There's just a lot going on in the body. The tests aren't 100% foolproof. There's just a lot of variables. So it's hard for me to tell you, like, definitely do this one or definitely do that one. I will tell you in my practice and what I have learned in the research I've done, I perform the LEAP MRT food sensitivity test. So it's called the MRT. You can find it online. You can find practitioners that will give it to you online. All right. I don't know if you can order it yourself or not. I'm not sure. But that has had the best kind of reliability and reproducibility ratings, which is something that is important when you're looking at food sensitivity tests. So that's the one that I go with. There's lots and lots of others. To be honest, I don't know that much about them, except that they just weren't as reliable or weren't as reproducible, which is as soon as I found that out, just kind of immediately discarded. So what I will say, though, is yes, they are expensive, especially for something that's not 100%. And, you know, really, I would say probably isn't even 90%. So it's a long shot. It's definitely taking a chance. I will say that when I perform food sensitivity tests on people, it does provide relief for a lot of people. But there are some people that it doesn't. And it could be because it's just either not totally 100% accurate, or there's something else going on or whatever, right? But it does still give you information. What I will say is that if you're not ready to spend that money on it, and you're not quite sure which ones to do, you can get a sense of how your body's doing or what your body's reacting to just by doing your own experiment. And as I talked about a few episodes ago, that's why I did the carnivore kind of reset, I guess we'll call it. I did the seven days of just eating meat because I had a feeling there were some vegetables or something else in my diet that was causing me a little bit of digestive distress. And I wanted to just kind of basically get a sense of, do I need to do a food sensitivity test? Or is it just something that maybe my digestion needs a little bit of assistance right now or something like that? And so that really brought me back to this baseline. And now I have the ability to kind of add foods back in and notice how they are reacting or how I'm reacting to them, how my digestion is. And I've been able to gather a lot of information about myself and what I 
need to do or what foods do and don't work for me, which ones I need to kind of moderate a little bit, that kind of stuff, just by doing my own experimentation. And so you can do that too. There's a couple ways, really. First of all, if there's one particular food that you're in question about, like something that, man, every time I eat this, I think it's this, man, I just don't feel right. Like I get bloated or like I really have to run to the bathroom right after that. Take that out, take that food out, keep everything else the same. Like I said in the few questions ago, if it's dairy, do it like at least four weeks, maybe six weeks, and then add it back in and see how you do. So when you're adding it back in, you're really making sure to add it back in. It's not like having a bite of cheese and seeing what happens. It's, you know, putting the cream in your coffee, having a chunk of cheese as a snack, maybe putting some butter all over your broccoli that night or something like that. Like really make it a decent amount of dairy in that particular day when you are bringing it back after not having it. And you should be able to tell within a day or two if you notice any changes. Now, a lot of times we think it's digestive, but it could be like a skin irritation. It could be a mood change. It could be getting a headache or feeling really tired or something like that. You're looking for all of it. You're looking for any change so that you can do that and see if there's a particular food that could be causing you some issues. Or if you were like me and you just don't have any idea, then you can do something maybe like a carnivore or maybe just like a really basic diet for a week or two weeks, kind of get your body back to baseline, give it time to rest, give your digestion time to rest and chill out, and then start adding back foods a little bit systematically and see if you notice anything from there. So what I did is I kind of tried to do like groups of veggies because I didn't know if it was a particular one or whatever. So I went with the group that I knew was the safest. So I started with squashes So I did zucchini and summer squash and add those back in and didn't have a problem. And then I did like leafy greens because I was sure that wasn't a problem. So then I started having salads and stuff and then moved on to like tomatoes and things like that and just started kind of adding them on and noticing things. But doing something like that is is another way to go if you're just like totally clueless. And really all it is, if any of this is working or not working, it's just kind of giving you a precursor to know if it's worth it to do a full food sensitivity test and to spend that money. So if you notice that maybe one food is a sensitivity, then there's a good chance that there's more. And that might be a time to think about doing a food sensitivity test. And like I said, I recommend the MRT. So I do have practitioners that will work with you from a distance that do the functional lab testing. They do the nutrition evaluation. They are me, essentially. They're exactly what I did when I was taking one-on-one clients, and they now are part of my team. So if you would like to work with one of them, if you're one of these people that asked this question and I told you to go find somebody, you can go to my website, seanminer.com, and you will see a drop down for one-on-one health consulting and the people that work with me And you can sign up with them to get going. I forgot about that. But they do run the MRT and would be happy to help you with that. All right. I think we are going to stop it there just to make sure we have plenty of time for this next question. So that's good. I feel like I've gotten through kind of a decent amount today. But we will pick this up again in a few weeks with more of your Keto Hot Seat questions. Thank you to everyone that 
submitted a question that continues to listen. As always, make sure you are sharing this information with anyone that you think would benefit from a keto diet or targeted keto approach for women, anything like that. We're really trying to make a movement come out of this whole keto thing. And the best way to do that is to start sharing what you know and start sharing what other people know and getting more people involved in taking charge of their health. So as always, I would love it if you would share this show with someone that you think could benefit, leave a review wherever you listen to this. That always helps. And just keep coming back because I love you all. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.